Welcome, fair listener, to episode nine of Weekend at Crombies. And for episode nine, we'll be discussing Nuns on the Run. Episode 9 of Weekend at Crombies, welcome to Nuns on the Run, the Nuns on the Run episode as I'm going to call it, rather unsurprisingly. Um, my name is James Evans, and I'm not known as the Glamorgan Sausage. Hello, I am Hugh, small, green, and split three ways. <laughs> this particular film, Nuns on the Run, was chosen by Hugh. It was. Um as, as this month's um, focus um, to shine a light on. So we're going to go through the by now um, very standard approach to the podcast. Um, so obviously if people want to turn off, now is the time to turn off. But very streamlined, we should say, to, to, to long-term listeners, you don't have to yeah. clock in for two hours. I can, I can guarantee you'll be out of here briskly. I will hand over to Hugh to start the discussion about Nuns on the Run. Straight over, right. So Nuns on the Run was made in 1990. It's a uh, comedy British crime caper. We begin with our two protagonists, Brian, uh, played by Eric Idle, and Charlie, played by Robbie Coltrane. They are basically two um, members of a criminal gang. They're, we open up with them doing a bank, jo- a bank robbery. They quickly established they don't like being bank robbers it's too violent for them it's not like the old days um their boss is a complete psycho so we, do we ever do we ever find out what the name of the, the gang is i'm not what sure they have a name they're, they're not called the little rascals they're just a criminal firm <laughs> <laughs> but they they work they work for a, a fairly young psychotic mob boss called case or casey the case casey um, the case yeah yeah um who again uh, he's, he's arming his men with shooters. People are getting killed. One of them, the members gets killed by accident in the first in the first robbery we see. So it's clearly things of mayhem. He also kills another associate who wants to leave the firm. So Eric Idle and uh, Robbie Coltrane, um, Brian and Charlie, know they're in a pickle. They don't want to be part of the firm. They know they can't leave or they get killed. And just to ramp up the uh, the drama now, Case has targeted um, a gang of triads who've moved in from Hong Kong <laughs> with a load of drug money, saying we're going to rob them. Um, Brian and Charlie now realise that if Case doesn't kill them, the triads will kill them for stealing their money. So they're in a right bind. Um, so they they hit upon the scheme of let's on the day of the robbery, let's double cross Case, steal the money for ourselves. So then I was stealing from both Casey and the triads, and and we'll hightail it to Rio before anyone's the wiser. And there we go, we're out of the game. It's fine. There are this, this is such a typically late 80s early 90s setup <laughs> i think isn't it you know that kind of caper it's ridiculous it is i mean it, it uh, the the what you have is two black bags full of a million pounds in used notes <laughs> that, that is the macguffin around which everything revolves <laughs> yeah. um, so it's very easy to grasp what's going on um, yeah. before so before this this high, this double cross heist begins um there's a couple of wrinkles thrown into the mix the biggest of which is uh, brian is falling in love with um a young student um called faith yeah, uh, Faith. Yeah, she um, she's a mature student. Um, she met her when she was working. Uh, Faith is uh, doesn't know he's a criminal, but is kind-hearted and incredibly myopic, um, which is the source of a lot of the broad humour when she keeps bumping into things. But it's also actually an essential plot point because there are lots of times in the movie when it's important that Faith can't see things properly. It's, it's very convenient, isn't <laughs> yes. it? But anyway, so um, Brian has fallen in love with Faith. Faith, who now has a job working in Casey's gymnasium, overhears the plan because Casey has got the wind that Charlie and Brian can't be trusted, so he wants to kill them on the day of the robbery. So this day of the robbery, everything's going down. Faith arrives when they're in the high street about to rob these um, these triad gangsters. And when everything goes completely south, um, Brian and Charlie manage to double-cross their own firm, steal the money from the triads, blow up the, the, their car, zoom away in their escape car, all the while Faith has arrived to try and um, stop Brian from being killed. Um, but Brian and Charlie, apart from the fact that Faith is on the scene, think they've made a clean getaway, think they're okay. Um, whereupon Charlie has forgotten to fill his car full of petrol and it sputters to a halt just down the road. Um, yeah, which is, which is frankly ridiculous. <laughs> because yeah, surely that's the first thing that you would do if you're going to um, steal from the triads. Is, is fill the car. Charlie, Charlie said Charlie's profession is a getaway driver, so it's a bit of an yeah, omission. Well, yeah. And again, I, I the, like that. 
I like the fact that they've they've literally driven off forgetting that Faith is there as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so, so literally now the, the car is blown up. Gunfire is erupting around this this um, little domestic street. Um, during which, in addition to a couple of the triers getting pinged off, Faith is clipped on the arm by a bullet too. It becomes important. She becomes slightly wounded. But Brian and Charlie, clutching their cases and seeking sanctuary anywhere, spot an open door and run through it. Yeah. Nobody sees them go through the store except for Faith, um, which we'll come to in yeah. a minute. But basically, this open door is in fact a convent or, or a nunnery, nunnery school. All hell has broken loose, and Brian and Charlie have run through an open door, which leads to a nunnery. So as yeah. they as yes. as yeah. So yeah, for the listener, there's been a large segment of this podcast which has been cut out. <laughs> the listener, don't we well, the I'm cutting this bit out as well, <laughs> so they'll never hear it. <laughs> Where were we? They're, they're hiding in a nano. This, uh, this, this, this dream of a quick summary is going to hell already. <laughs> but anyway, so this, this basically was the first 20 minutes of the film um, when we set up all the pieces in play. The, the gangsters, the triads, Faith, Brian and Charlie. They're now in the, the nunnery and the second act kicks off in a big way because Brian and Charlie think their only way out now without a car and without airplane tickets because they left them in the car is to disguise themselves as nuns. They're hiding in the laundry so they grab a couple of habits and try and walk through the police lines um, with their big bags full of money and their, and their nuns outfits. They quickly realise this isn't going to pass muster um, so they decide what they need to do is knock on the front door of the nunnery and pretend to be nuns so they can stay a couple of days until the, the fuss has died down and then get new plane tickets and then fly off to Brazil. Um, which is pretty much what they do. Brian is um, Charlie is a Catholic and is supremely confident that he knows all the all the things you need to do to pass as a nun. He's got these yeah. these, these ridiculous arcane names for the nuns. He's um, I mean, part of the comedy comes from Brian and Charlie are are presenting themselves as what they think nuns are, and the actual nuns aren't really that, but are so. Yeah. But actually think there could be nuns like this, so take them at face value. You have um, Brian and Charlie, they, they are Sister Euphemia of the Immaculate Conception and Sister Inviolata of the Five Wounds, meeting basically Sister Liz and Sister Mary. Yeah. <laughs> um, who, who think they're... And, and, and the, the, the student nuns have a, a fairly kind of raucous life, don't they? they they're, they're, they're pretty... They're pretty down to earth. I don't think they're um, student nuns. I think they're just students. They're, they're like they're just they're, 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 they're not novices. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> they're not virgins. <laughs> that's that's never established in the film. Um, but as I say, so they decide to hide out in the nunnery, and that's pretty much where the the middle chunk of the the fun and games of the movie is. They basically try they go through every gag you can imagine with the nuns. They, uh, you know. Brian is completely nonplussed. He doesn't understand what religion this is. Yeah. He is flailing around. Charlie is actually quite enjoying himself. And um, they meet they meet the uh, the creepy Hansy priest. Um, they meet you know the the, the slightly drunk nun. They uh, meet the slightly aged nun. They they bound around. You know they buy makeup and surprise people because um, they you know with the fact they buy makeup and razors. There's lots of nun or religion based comedy happening around the whole middle part of the thing, and it's, it bounds along quite nicely. We won't go into every single scene. But that's, I will say yeah. that there's also uh, there's also an incredibly gratuitous um, scene in the showers where, yes. <laughs> where where Brian and Charlie are um, obviously in in full regalia full and they're just watch, watching the student nuns yeah. nakedly shower. Yeah, which, I, will, I will come to that. Sorry, you say. Yeah, I was going to say of, of which I had forgotten was in the film completely until I watched it and thought this this is so. I was thinking, I'm sure there's going to be a nude scene in this. <laughs> and there was. Yeah. When I say they do every gag that you can do yeah. with men hiding out in a women's place, they mean every gag, and that includes the shower gag. Yeah, I will exactly. say, actually, having, having now uh, rewatched the shower gag, it's... Oh, well, okay, it... oh, right, okay. And how many <laughs> I, times I mean, have you watched the shower gag? <laughs> only 14 or 15 times to make sure I absolutely understood what the gag was. I mean, having rewatched it from the time when I was, you know, I watched it as a teenager first and wasn't really taking in the comedy of the scene. Yeah, but yeah. having now seen it, um, it actually for uh, a couple of points. Firstly, um, like I said, they're doing it because they're doing every single joke. Secondly, yeah. it's um, it's not done in actually, it's actually done, not done in a creepy way. Because firstly, no. Brian Brian walks in the shower and finds Charlie there, and Brian's horrified. He 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 knows you should not be in a room yeah. full of yeah. student nuns showering. So he's the one almost dragging Charlie up by his nose. Charlie, on the other hand, is sitting there. With that kind of a, not a leering expression on his face, he's actually yeah. almost horrified at himself. But he yeah. literally whispers under his breath to Brian, "I can't help myself." 
it's quite well played actually yeah. isn't it? and i was thinking i, I, did, that this I did find myself laughing at that yeah. because robbie Coltrane, who is the kind of i can't help myself yeah. he's uh he plays it very well it and is. it's quite funny yeah. and, and I then think it's... eric idol coming in also then can't leave yeah <laughs> We keep, we keep dragging Charlie's face back to him. Stop it! Look at me! Um, and it is that whole thing where it's actually, compared to some of the, yeah, there's been, in the 80s comedies, there was a lot of kind of, um, you know, um, frat boy humour where you'd stare in the girl's shower room. And it was... Yeah, the porkies. Yeah, the porkies. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. quite, which actually was, was gratuitous and, you know, quite demeaning. Yeah. This is almost flipped because it's n- it's not like these two guys have drilled a hole in the wall and are leering through the, the window. They are, they are stuck in a, what is to them, deeply uncomfortable situation. Yeah, um, yeah. And and they are yeah somehow trapped in the fact that he he can't help himself but they don't want to leave so it's not quite empowering but it's not as as gross as you'd imagine it could be uh, uh, yeah I, I certainly wouldn't call it empowering in any way <laughs> <laughs> but, but but equally it's not it's not overtly misogynistic yeah. either it's not like That's... yeah it's not like Brian and Charlie are rubbing their hands together with glee at the fact they've got into this it's like <laughs> no, Brian no, no. is horrified and Charlie is just quite disgusted with himself yeah yeah. But so this all goes on. So this is they're basically hiding out in the enemy for a couple of days. You know the police wandering out, case wanders out. So the the the, the net is closing around them because case tries the police are still chasing them and their money. Another wrinkle comes in is Faith, who knows they've gone to this enemy, follows them in there, doesn't find Charlie. Um, but again, having not having glasses, Charlie knows she's here and managed to talk to her from like behind a screen or pretend from yeah. a distance. So the, the 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 romance between Charlie and Faith continues. Again, when Faith leaves, she goes missing because the triads are first taken, and then she walks into a lamppost and gets concussed and ends up in <laughs> hospital. Uh, so again, Charlie, the, Charlie, um, sorry, Brian is constantly trying to leave the nunnery and their safety and not trying to lie low because he's trying to find and make sure Faith is safe. So this is one of the, the, the drivers that keeps them on their toes because they're never yeah. quite, they can't just be nuns and hide out for three days and leave on the plane. Um, they have to keep putting themselves in danger to, to do this kind of stuff. And also things like Faith, um, when they have their long-distance chat through her, without her glasses, Faith says she's going to confess, which means then Brian has to go and pretend to be a priest to hear her confession, so the real priest can't and tell her to go to the police and this kind of stuff. So there's there's lots of, again, pretend to be what you're not. It's like a, almost like a Shakespearean thing where yeah. you know, you're constantly changing hats or whatever to, to be someone yeah. different. Uh, and so that, that then, so once that's been dealt with... Um, the towards the, the the finale of the film, um, the the facade is slipping. The the guys are having um, less and less success. Pretend to be nuns, um, and eventually their disguise is rumbled, and they basically after a brief um, discussion with the nuns and an almost moment of redemption, like Charlie almost says, "I I honestly repent. I do." The nuns aren't really having this, and so they just say, "Well, tough luck, we're off then." Yeah. They, yeah. they literally just grab their suitcases and leg it, and that sets up the the classic comedy caper where they, they they have to run with their money to the hospital to find faith to get her to the airport so they can all escape in the meantime they are being chased by the nuns the triads <laughs> casey the police and face yeah. a face hugely violent parent a father and, yeah. and brother so you have at least six or seven interested parties all running around the same building all mistaking each other for each other whilst you know the, the protagonists and their money are desperately trying to get away which they again eventually do the nuns manage to secure one of the suitcases of money so they're okay they have enough money for their, their drug rehabilitation center um casey gets arrested the boys get away and and it's a happy end and they fly up into the sunset yeah and they're they're, they're on they managed to get on the the, the flight to brazil as flight attendants. Yeah, because they, they initially in the hospital they, they disguise switched, they, themselves, yeah, didn't they? They switched out their disguise in the hospital. They're now nurses, uh, so they can because so, the police yeah. are looking for nuns, which again sets up another <laughs> comedy business where the nurses they stole their clothes from um, are now dressed up as nuns because they switched yeah. they switched clothes. And uh, the overzealous police sergeant assumes he's found Brian and Charlie and proceeds to strip search one of the n- n- the nurse nuns <laughs> and ends up basically staring at a woman in her underwear um, and yeah. is hugely embarrassed by this. It's another case actually where. And this is this is um, another case of how they use <laughs> it this. Like, it's another case of an incredibly empowering moment for. for Funny women. you should mention that. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the companion I was watching this with, this was uh, 
Mrs. M, um, when, when this happened, completely rolled her eyes at the gratuity of the scene and the fact that this, this nurse, who you imagine is a working nurse, is wearing essentially Anne Summers underwear. It's <laughs> 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 yes. utterly impractical. Um, but I, I did make the case that if, if she'd been wearing just you know, M&S underwear and, and the policeman had torn her clothes off, it would have been deeply uncomfortable. Um, it would not have been <laughs> a pleasant scene to watch because you're just looking at an armed policeman tear a woman's clothes off. The, <laughs> fa- the fact that it is that kind of Benny Hill style yeah. to it and it's the policeman who's looking absolutely aghast at what he's done is at least some form of joke it's not a great joke it's, 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 com- and it's, it's, com- it's very it's very british though isn't it it's it is. very it's it, you know it's totally um it's totally slapstick yeah. and totally kind of self-deprecating and the you know the, as you say in in the shower scene brian and charlie are completely horrified the policeman yeah. at the end, he's completely horrified there's he's not the, the, he's not sensual at all he's just yeah. like oh god get me out of this situation which yeah. is probably how i would react as it well. is it is that very carry-on humor of you whenever you have the sexy woman in the room the man is yeah. always deeply uncomfortable or aghast or or very nervous or sweating profusely or doesn't know what to do with himself i mean to be honest that is my experience of being in any social situation so <laughs> it's it's fairly accurate with or without as, as... Anne summer's underwear <laughs> yeah well i don't often get to reveal my Anne summer's <laughs> underwear but it's there and, Ready and waiting. And with that image in mind, dear viewers, <laughs> I think we've concluded our summary um, of Nuns on the yes. Run in Bristol. Yeah. It's, it's basically a, a, a light comedy caper, um, not unlike the lines of um, Some Like It Hot, especially yeah, two, two everyday men get caught up in crime and have to disguise as women to escape and then maintain uh, that disguise. Yeah, I think it's also the first time that Nuns on the Run and Some Like It Hot have been compared in the same sentence as well. Uh, but it isn't unlike that. And perhaps... In the next segment of Weekend at Crombies, we will discuss some of those themes and comparisons in a little bit more detail. Join Join, us soon. Join us soon. In whatever underwear you choose. (laughs) You have that right. (laughs) Welcome back to the analysis section of Nuns on the Run. So couple of points that um, I want to ask you to begin with. First of all, why did you choose Nuns on the Run? And, and secondly, what, what do you think are the kind of the key markers of, of the, the, the plot and the, the kind of thematic processes that run through the film itself? So first of all, why did you choose the film? Well, I'm glad you asked me that, James. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what we ask each episode. It is. Why did I choose this? I think I was too young to have seen this in the cinematic release in 1990. Would but it have been a 15, do you think? I think it was a 15, yes. Um, yeah, OK. But it again, being a fairly low-budget and, and British film, it came onto TV pretty quickly after that, and it became quite a regular staple of the, sort of the VHS stuff I watched when I had a, a circular thing. I, li- I liked it a lot. It's very easy to watch. It's um, And also, again, if you're, you're busy yourself with something else, if you're, you know, Building Lego or assembling Airfix or whatever else a, a, a young <laughs> teenager would be do. watching a gratuitous nude shower scene whilst building Lego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that is the snapshot into my adolescence. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's um, it was on regularly, and so it kind of got imprinted in my mind quite a lot. Um, but they obviously just fell by the wayside, and I was very interested to see. Basically, how it would hold up. I remember it being funny. I remember it being, you know, quite a good go-to film. If you couldn't think of anything else to watch, you could watch this, and it would be enjoyable. Um, again, I, I still think the set performance is very strong, mm. and it stuck with me. So this was a kind of revisiting it, look at it with with Weekend at Crombie eyes, and see how it holds up. It's interesting what you say about it being um, quite a, a funny film from when you watch it when you're younger as well. But I, th- I also find. That, uh, because a similar thing to you, I, I obviously I don't think I would have seen it at the cinema, or I wouldn't have been old enough to get to the cinema. But I, I definitely would have seen it in a kind of. Um, my mum and dad used to get VHSs out every Friday night, and we used to sit and watch them yeah. as a family. This would have been one of those films, I'm sure of it, yeah. that we got and watched. You know, even though I might not have been 15, for example, you know, it's that it wouldn't matter too much. But what's interesting about it is it it it. it it would have resonated with me because it would have been humorous, but it was also a little bit edgy. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit adult in its themes, which which added a kind of frisson of excitement when watching something like Nuns on the Run. Even the title Nuns on the Run is a bit, you know, the, an immaculate deception. Yeah. It's an interesting way of kind of promoting it. I, I, I would have thought, oh, yes, this is this is a bit illicit. I probably shouldn't be watching this, but I am watching it. Yeah. And it's. 
I think it's of its time. It was almost like yeah. in the um, first thing I'm going to mention of its time. The music, the music soundtrack is by Yellow, um, yeah. which is which is just the 1980s, late ni- early 90s anthem for something dramatic but a little bit wacky is happening. I mean, yeah. So was, it's, yeah, they obviously think Ferris Bueller's Ferris Day Off. Ferris Bueller, Secret of My Success had Yellow. Yeah. It's like if you need something that. Secret of uh, My Success, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a weekend at Crombie's film, if ever I've heard it. <laughs> Because I think whenever someone says, um, describe the band Yellow to me, I would just simply go, mmm, bo, I looked into them. I think they, I, I suspect they were, you know, they're, they're Swiss musical artists that use, you know, electronic and, and samples. Yeah. And I yeah. suspect they began their career a lot more serious than they ended up because oh, I don't sure think they it, intended yeah. to be the soundtrack of light comedic films that had a bit <laughs> of drama in it. Yeah, because I'm sure you, it's exactly what you need. You need you need something with a bit of a beat. You need something to give some impetus and drama yeah, to it, but yeah. not something that's scary. You don't want like you know the soundtrack to Dunkirk pounding through. Um, <laughs> but you you want but so Yellow is perfect for that. And uh, yeah. again, when the titles come up, the titles have nothing to do with nuns or anything. It's neon stripes and yellow, <laughs> and you can just say yeah. this film was made in 1990. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yes, so I think I think that's that's the reason I picked it was it was it was a sign. But to, to cut into I think what what I think about it now, um, yeah. I was again I was looking at it. I guess the broad thing is, I think it is it it's still a good comedy. I think it's very funny. Um, yeah. I think generally, it is still a good comedy. It holds up. It is very tightly structured. There is um. There is it's 90 minutes long, so it gets in and out very quickly. It very yeah, quickly yeah. sets up its premise, you know, 20 minutes to actually get the boys in the nunnery and still have mm. all the plot elements running alongside it is very efficient storytelling. And it's, again, there are jokes right from the start all the way through. And it's one of those, they say, you know, the mark of a good comedy is it's joke, 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 joke. And they don't always have to land. But, you know, for one thing, some of them are going to land and make you laugh. And the ones that don't land at least keep you smiling so you're set up for the next one. And this, they're literally, there are so many jokes that don't need to be jokes. Like, literally, transitions between scenes, moments in scenes. Like, there's a scene when Brian is, is staking out the triads and one of them walks up to him and it's literally like he's he's he walks from one end of the street to the second he's there in a second but in that second brian holds up a, a sudden newspaper that has the most ridiculous headline on it um <laughs> they're, they're hiding out in um in the nun's laundry and they're just hiding out but a nun is constantly struggling to click on a coat hang because she's not tall enough and it just click 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 and he's driving the boys crazy and it didn't need to yeah. be there there's um faith walks across the road and a man cartwheels on a bicycle behind her um <laughs> Literally, again, the, the scene we talked about where the, the nurse nun is strip searched. Um, in that moment of agony, there's a man in the in the re, in the back of the corridor who falls off his crutches in shock, and it's that kind of it's boom 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 boom. And they again, you can watch now. I'm not saying all modern comedies are bad, but you watch something that is a poor comedy, and I think a lot of modern comedies are guilty of this of putting too much emphasis in almost like the central joke. They will keep a, a main character's line running and a main gag yeah. going, and there's yeah. nothing else going on in the, in the background. And I think. Yeah. A, a good tightly packed comedy can do all that and you see that in, in what are really good funny comedies is yeah. there's always something funny happening and I think this is also a case in that and it was I didn't notice it previously but when you really look at it you never find something that's not funny mm, okay so I, I do find that this very interesting about what you say with the modern comedies as well and yeah. I, I have a tendency to agree with you on that because I think modern comedies have a, have this really un they have this tendency to um, focus on a, pe- a joke, yeah. which then isn't edited, which the camera is just left to run, yeah. where there is a bit of ad-libbing, with the expectation that if you keep ad-libbing, something else funny will happen, yeah. and there's no control or structure to that particular joke. So what was actually funny in the first instance? becomes completely painfully unfunny yeah. because people are still trying to riff on that initial central joke yeah. and it loses all kind of sense of, of humour. So I would say, um, I don't know if there's a train wreck is an example of that, which has got quite good reviews, but is, is about, it's a terrible film with just all of these jokes. Was a film like Nuns on the Run, it's tightly edited yeah. and it quickly moves from one scene to the other and actually doesn't linger on the jokes either so you know it doesn't it's not self-satisfied in that process its purpose isn't to wallow in its jokes it's to move from one set piece to the next set piece 
of which there is humorous activity in it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, the more I think about this, every, everything happens, and, and there's just jokes in there. There's, there's a scene when yeah, Brian as a nun is trying to flounce out of the room, and he doesn't even leave till the scene ends. They have, they have a big scene with the, 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 the leery priest, when, mm. uh, when Charlie has accidentally said they're not women and has to row back from it very quickly. And you'd think the scene is over, and they, they flounce out, and Brian is walking to the door, and immediately does a 180 and flounces back in because the police have arrived to start another scene with him. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it, it just doesn't stop, and it stopped in a very good way. It, it shows the, the relentless pressure that's on the, the plot, but actually it, it leaves so much open for, for jokes and gags there. And as we said, that's another thing, is in terms of its tight structure, is there's a lot of subplots that are happening within... Um, the, the show. There's the, obviously the central relation between Brian and Charlie. Um, there's obviously Brian and Faith's romance as well. There's mm. kind of the the the, yep. the, the dual. The, there's Casey, the tribes, and the police who are the you know, the antagonist forces in there. There's yeah. another subplot where the convent money has been um, embezzled by one of the nuns, Sister Mary, um, because she has a drinking problem and a gambling problem. Um, mm. And that was that gets tied up when the nuns they realise they have no money for their drug rehabilitation. They, just, they find the triad's drug money and decide to put it to God's use. That ties yeah. up that, that plot. But that's a lot of things happening that basically do all get resolved in one mad chase scene at the end. Um, yeah. And it, they, they do. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say that the, the plot is very sophisticated, yeah. but I think the plot is only there to provide scenes where there is humorous activity taking place. Yeah, Which, and it does that. Yeah, but I could think of other comedies where you have again a number of plots, and they'll basically all get resolved because I know all the characters get arrested or fall into a hole or something. Like yeah. thinking of Mad 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 World, they yeah. run out of ideas for the plots, so they get all the central characters and then just dump them in hospital. This yeah. actually manages to find a conclu- you know, a, a satisfying conclusion for each of the the subplots in its own way. That the nuns walk away with the money, Case gets arrested, the triads are foiled, and this kind of stuff. It's it's quite well done again for what is basically a vehicle for the jokes mm. and i think i think the, the other thing in it is um R- robbie coltrane perhaps more than eric idle but but they're good central performances as well yeah um so robbie coltrane is you know he's this was pre-cracker it was it was almost this this was the beginning of his career and kind of the end of eric idle's eric idle though he did other films and had a, a career after this this was yeah. post python films so that was about as famous as eric idle was going to get was this is yeah was this around was this before or after splitting airs as this well was after splitting airs which again was was the nadia that was um that was not yeah. good <laughs> so so this i think you know although robbie coltrane would have been well known to UK audiences with things like comic strip and stuff like that. He was known, I think, he was known as a stand-up and yeah, a comic strip actor. Yeah. Uh, this would have thrust him into the kind of international line, like because it did quite well in America. Yeah. And um, so this would have kind of put him into that kind of yeah, interesting opportunities that were made available to him in America as a consequence of this. And actually, in this film, he I think he's the best thing about it because he's very natural, but um, he he acts as that kind of fulcrum between the 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 gangster who has the knowledge of Catholicism because yeah. he's Catholic himself, so can lead Eric Idle's Brian through the maze of the hypocrisy and the um counterintuitiveness of religion more generally so there's 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 quite a fun scene where um robbie coltrane tries to explain the the holy trinity to eric idol because he has to deliver a a lesson on um the difference between the holy ghost the um uh, jesus christ and and is it god as well (laughs) god jesus and the holy spirit yeah exactly yeah, and uh, you know, obviously explains it in a really convoluted way that doesn't really make sense, but kind of does make sense, yeah. and then he presents it that way. So it, there's quite good kind of monologues in there, and um, he does a very good job, I think. Yeah. Robbie. But he's but he's very comfortable he's in that. Yeah. Also, when he explains that scene, he's very comfortable. The character in that it doesn't make sense. He goes, "You're not supposed to understand it. You've got to have faith. That's why it's a religion." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think I think f- for me, uh, there's a cu- couple of things there actually. I suppose very good central performances. Um, I, I I disagree with you a little bit that it's joke central. Yeah. And the reason why even I say that is not to say that I don't think it's funny necessarily, but I don't think that they are – a lot of the humour in it is visual hmm. and not – they're not – they're not they're – not they're not jokes. It's not script related. Yeah. It's it's situational. And I suppose the, the, the this leads me to my kind of second point really, which is although it's humorous – I didn't laugh out loud 
much yeah. throughout the film. I found myself tittering. I found myself enjoying what I was seeing on screen. But I think fundamentally it relies very much on you finding the idea that two men are dressed as nuns funny. Yeah. Full stop. And if you don't, it does detract a little bit from what the film is as a humorous exercise. And whilst I don't find men dressed as nuns unfunny, <laughs> I also very quickly ran out of um, patience <laughs> <I suppose. laughs> with, with the idea that it is funny. And one of the principles there is that in the end, what happens for me is that Brian and uh, Charlie are put in situations where being dressed as a nun is funny yeah. rather than anything to do with a, a, a quip or something, you know, script related, which, you know, I'm not saying is better or worse, but it was very, very much a kind of slapstick. Um, now we're going to put these male nuns in a shower scene, you know, or, or you'll have the nun drinking alcohol and putting the alcohol in her habit. Yeah. You know, or, you know, she's an alcoholic. It's a habit. Or um, I don't know. Lots of things. Well, like there's, there's the basketball scene, which for one thing, in, in prior to the shower scene, the reason they get to the shower scene is that Robbie Coltrane's character has been asked to take a PE lesson. So the the young students are, are playing basketball rather badly and he gets impatient as Sister Inviolata and takes over and displays an incredible amount of basketball skills, yes. which is to begin with a little bit of a leap for Robbie Coltrane yes, um, because he's yeah. making a jump shot at one point. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's that whole thing. Like, well, that's my point. They, they, they throw everything at the wall in terms of yeah. nuns doing funny things. And you're, yeah. um, in terms of the visual gags, I'd, I'd point out they, that's not quite the case. And I think they actually... They, they, this also detracts is they're not just trying to do situational gags like there's a scene when Eric Idle talks about he makes a gag saying um, the church is just trying to be rich whenever there's a deep human need there's money to be made look at Kentucky Fried Chicken that's, yeah. that's, yeah. Like, a, that's like a stand-up line though and it's it not is. really true from Brian's character it, it feels very forced in because someone wanted to make a joke about religion um, and also again, yes. in a later scene um, Robbie Coltrane kind of makes a joke to when, he, when she has to distract the priest or he has to distract the priest so he's making a joke about you're allowed to have as much sex as you like because if you've got to keep on sinning, otherwise the church is out of business, which, again, is a very stand-up yeah. kind of routine, certainly in the 1980s and 90s you'd make. Um, yeah. But you'd also think someone who's on the run for their lives in the police wouldn't mess around with their identity that much because no, she's confessing to be a promiscuous nun, which would probably ring a few alarm bells in the vicar. So is that yeah. kind of stuff. There are some inconsistencies in character and behaviour that you know they put in there because they had a long list of, we need to make these jokes about nuns and religion and we're going to get yeah. them in. And, that, and, and I think that's a very Python-esque thing, isn't it? So like, there's a thing, there's a, a joke, a scene very early on when um, Brian and Charlie are in the cafe, um, right at the start of the film, and they, they're getting ready for the um, the armed robbery that they're yeah. about to do at the bank. And they're having a conversation, and, and Charlie's having fish, and it's a Friday, and Brian says, I didn't think you were allowed to have fish on a Friday. Isn't, you know, Catholics aren't allowed to have fish. And he says, oh, yeah, we're allowed to have fish now. So Brian says, well, is that a decree from the Pope, or is that... The Vatican II. The, the Vatican II. And he yeah. said, what do you the, the deputy Pope. He says, well, you can't have a deputy Pope. The Pope is... is um, Infallible. Infallible, yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. It comes the case of, I don't think two good friends like Brian and Charlie, this is the first Friday they've had lunch together, or that he doesn't know he's a Catholic, or this kind of stuff. I mean, that's how you do, you know, exposition. You part a flag saying, this is Charlie, he's the Catholic character. Um, Yeah. But I suppose suppose what I don't don't want to do is give the impression that I I didn't enjoy the film, because... You can come to it with in the context of different levels, I suppose, really. And yeah. I thought what it did, it did quite well. You know, it did, it did that visual slapstick. It did that kind of commentary, I guess, on that religious process quite well. Um, and, it, it, you know, of the films I can think of where you put um, people in extreme circumstances where they have to disguise themselves as something else, it does it quite well. The only thing I would say about it is that, um, you know, I, I was thinking of... Um, uh, have you seen We're No Angels, which is a film with um, Robert De Niro and Sean Penn, and they're gangsters. It came out the same they, time, didn't it? It came out about the same time. I mean, you know, they don't dress up as women; they dress up as priests. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, you have Sister Act. Yeah. Where you have, you know, it's it, well, Sister Act is, I think, pretty much an identical film, except that 
Whoopi Goldberg is a woman and she goes to um, the convent. Um, and, you know, it, it's a slightly more heartwarming film, I guess. And it's a slightly it's a comedy, but it's a different type of comedy. Which is why it's, again, it's why it's American, because the, the, the American yes. take on religion would be she's a criminal who has a positive influence, albeit a quite rascally one. The British yeah. one is definitely these are two rogues who don't give a stuff. I mean, Brian literally says at one point, they're the mugs. They've checked their brains at the door. That's why they're so happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's much more acerbic. Yeah much more cynical about religion yeah. whereas you're right the, the American versions are much more, more, more positive but that was, that was, that was quite a style the Pope, the Pope I was about well, to say that, that, that Robert Coltrane's next film was The Pope Must Die it seemed to be it was like post-Life of Brian it was it was the, the, the trend to make these kind of let's make fun of religion comedies um, which yeah. almost you wouldn't see today because it's almost like religion is not as important enough um, to, to, to make fun of in that sense not the establishment anymore um, no I agree yeah it, yeah um, it, it's, things have things have changed because yeah, it, uh, it's a, it's untouchable now a little bit to a certain extent. But you know, in the, in the early nineties, something happened. You're right. I think it probably was the life of Brian and stuff like that. There was a an irreverence towards it, yeah. and possibly out of the kind of born out of that that f- um, fertile stand up atmosphere of the the mid the alternative comics. Yeah. That kind of you know, not giving a damn about what society thinks, or, or, or not society, but kind of like the establishment. Um, establishment. That's yeah. yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and you know, obviously, religion is one of the establishment processes in which it was um, taking a, a kind of kicking toward, as it yeah. were. Um, there, there is it, a thread from the life of Brian to um, Nuns on the Run. They were both again handmade films because handmade films came about yeah. um, when Life of Brian was was about to crash before it even started producing because the the, the, the funding dried up or, or ran out and George Harrison basically founded yeah. Handmade Films to make this which I wondered yeah. why again I just wondered why is that why the only pop song that, that shows Brian and Faith falling in love is a George Harrison song because they could Harrison get it cheap song. yeah exactly yeah and indeed oh. sorry, they also um, I thought as a nice character note I'm going to come to the, the detail in the film but when they first yeah. meet Casey he's lounging on his, his you know his gangster sofa watching a movie and he's watching The Long Good Friday and he's watching the Bob Hoskins torture scene yeah. uh, first I think it's a great character note because Casey doesn't seem like a very good mob boss he's alienating all his crew yeah. and he's getting them killed and they're rebelling so he's yeah. clearly he's watching this thinking this is what a tough guy mob boss <laughs> behaves like as The Long yeah. Good Friday of course The Long Good Friday was also a handmade film so you could probably use that without having to pay royalties without having to pay royalties yeah absolutely I hadn't realised that that was a handmade movie actually yeah I think it's um I, did, I took a look at some of their things they've got quite good pedigree they, um, yeah, they, there's, yeah, there's yeah, they good did, stuff yeah. in there yeah there is yeah um yeah I, I, I suppose again you know to, to emphasise my my lack of guffawing wasn't necessarily an indication of, of the extent to which I liked the film or not um th- there comes a point where you have to think this scenario uh, has perhaps run its course a little bit yeah. but the virtue of that though was that it, it's got an 89 minute running time yeah. and so it doesn't actually outstay its welcome too much from my perspective and I'm thinking actually there aren't again you, you said didn't before no not that I again I laughed a lot but there was no kind of like you know tears when your eyes weak moments and almost yeah. because the, the film's speed and pace doesn't allow that to happen because it never I'm trying to think of you know films that can really make you laugh I'm thinking trains planes and automobiles there are a lot of you could actually yeah. fall down weak moments but there are yeah. lots of scenes actually yeah. where they they zoom in on a moment and then ramp it and ramp it and ramp it so you yeah. are literally laughing and they have the confidence to do that this is much more gag 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 and yeah, you are true. and you may laugh loud at one of them and then just smile at the next yeah. three but there's no one moment where it, this is so ridiculous it never really reaches that crescendo of this has gone absolutely insane and you can't help but laugh it's much yeah. more like this is generally very funny and it's never less than funny but it's never more than funny yeah yeah I think that's fair what, what, what did you think of the character of Faith in, in the film because I, I think she has an interesting role but I'm interested to hear what you, yeah. what you think about her um, to start with the actress I thought the actress actually was very good I thought she did a, yeah. a charismatic role and kind of held her own against you know two very seasoned comedy actors um, yeah. uh, it's quite stylized acting as well because she's clearly intended to be very ditzy yeah. um, and so she does that quite well she's a little bit irritating as well but that's part of that role I think but I wouldn't say ditzy meaning stupid again she's she's hopelessly myopic and gets yeah. very in love with Brian but, she, but, but she's she's the only one with savvy enough to actually find where they're hiding and you know work yeah. out a plan to do this kind of stuff yeah. um, I thought actually Again, she's she's as a character element, she's a necessary one. She's the one that you know stops the two guys just hiding in the nunnery for three days and not doing anything. She's the necessary irritant to keep the plot moving, so that's good. Um, and I, with the kind of the chemistry between her and Eric Idle, I felt um, 
you, you, you kind of got it. You thought, okay, they're in love. I'll accept it. You didn't really get yeah. blown away by it. In fact, I thought the funniest scenes are when she is talking to Eric Idle when he's pretending to not be him, when he's either the yeah. nun or the priest and she's confessing her heart and he is both, you know, drinking in this information that she loves him but also trying to be someone else. Like, yeah. she, she says literally, oh, you know, she's in the confessional. Father, I love him. Oh, you love him. Well, if you love him, keep your trap shut. <laughs> <laughs> and, they're the funny scenes. When they actually have a heart-to-heart, you're kind of thinking, yeah. okay, this is nice, but this is just moving yeah. on. Yeah, and there, there are some of those scenes where they are having a heart-to-heart yeah. or they're actually you know, having a serious conversation. They're a bit awkward because I don't, I, I don't think I don't think Eric Idle is... I don't think he's great at those kind of serious no. um, shots of, of, of acting. I think he needs to stick to being um, a, a kind of... A comedic actor at best, really. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with you. Her, her character in it is is simply necessary for the plot. I did find it slightly odd that, um, you know, Brian and Faith have a what is intended to be quite a strong love and relationship, um, and she is left behind at the uh, at the heist when they steal the triad's money. Yeah. She gets shot. <laughs> He gets shot in the wrist, um, and they just drive off. Yeah. But the thing is, Brian knows that she's there. Yeah, he did say he did send the lines of what happened to Faith, and Charlie brushes it off with, "Oh, she got away." Um, but you're, yeah. you're right. It, I mean, it's, the, it's it, insane. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the timeline's a bit strange too because we he apparently first meets her after the film has begun, um, and they you know they they have a a very quick romance. That isn't yeah. very meaningful, but we're not quite sure of the time because it seems to happen within days. Yeah, um, it does. Yeah, must, so, well, it must do. Yeah, but but for the economy of the plot, it, you kind of accept it. You ex- you accept. I mean, had she been an established girlfriend, that might have been easier to deal with. We didn't really need to see them meet. We could have just said he's got a girlfriend that he's yeah. in love with. But um, again, it's it's more like a plot driver than it is again a problem. Um, I did quite enjoy, and this is this is the the comedy element. The the three main characters are. Um, the name, his name's Brian Hope, so you have Faith, Hope, yeah. and Charlie. <laughs> yeah, 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 and that's yeah, that's true actually. Um, and I hadn't realised that until um, you, until the start of the synopsis, when you, you mentioned that her name was Faith and his name was Brian Hope and Charlie. Hope. So yeah, I, that, that's very good actually. Um, it, it, yeah, very good in that context. Do you have any other thoughts about the, the film? The, the themes of the film. I mean, it's hard to talk about the themes of a film like Nuns on the Run because yeah, it's, 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 what, what is the theme of the film? It's, it's Nuns yeah, on the yeah. Run. It's almost again, if we're, if we're picking a film, interestingly, again, we we picked a film last uh, last month with almost no plot. It was, it was yeah, more like exactly. thoughts, all theme. This is the other way around. This is, and this is one of the reasons I picked it. I like films that are that, that evidence their their structure and their plot, um, yes. and this certainly does that. And I'll, again, I'll, I'll come to a few more observations. Firstly, we've touched on the the, the tight structure, but I think there is a great attention to detail in this film. It is, in a sense, better than it needs to be. It didn't need any of these, and I'll list a few of them. It didn't need such attention to detail, but it, but they made the work and put it in there, and I think it elevates the film. Um, for example, film. example, yeah. example one, um, the the initial scene, the very first scene, when it's kind of a fake out. Brian and Charlie are sitting down in a cafe, looking glum, yeah. saying, "I hate this bank job. It's really yeah. boring. All so yeah. much stress and this kind of stuff." And uh, personally, I wasn't taking it. The, the gag is it's not the youth meant to think they're bankers, but they're actually yeah. bank robbers. Yeah. Um, turns out I, that will because I watched it with um, with my wife, who said, "No, I thought they were bank. I thought they were bank bankers. I thought the, the idea was they stole the bank's money." Because I was watching thinking they're killing gangsters. This is a joke, but yeah. that's the that's the, the, the fake out to start with. But what I only noticed on the rewatch is Brian and Charlie are dressed like city boys. They they for the yes, first they they they're, they're yeah. in nice shirts and jewelry and everything, and they're not dressed. That's not their normal wear. So you they. Again, they really put energy to thinking that these are just a couple of bankers. Yeah. I mentioned they've Casey. Done it well, though, yeah. They? yeah, Casey's watching the Long Good Friday. They didn't need to have him watch a violent gangster film, but that's what he's doing. Yeah. When Casey is um is arming his gang, he we, we have shots, close-up shots of him placing the guns down on the table. He placed them on top of 2000 AD comics, so Casey is clearly like a man-child reading yeah. violent comics. Yeah. It's those yeah. um. Charlie is a compulsive thief. Sometimes it's made obvious when he like he's, he pick, picks a policeman's pocket and it's made clear. He steals the collection, it's made clear. But there's other moments when he's just talking. He's like in the health club and he pockets an orange in his jacket when he leaves. Yeah. And he's thinking, yeah. again, it's a nice, it doesn't need that. It's yeah. a nice character. But when you watch it again, you're thinking, yes, Charlie is a compulsive thief. Yeah. He's, a, he's a constant villain. He's a constant criminal like that. And it's you could pick out things like that all throughout. It doesn't need to be there, but they, because they kept on putting it in there. Like I say, the... Um, the pharmacist is uh, who sells them razors and yes. uh, and makeup. 
is actually a character in her own right, and she's in two yeah. scenes. And like, but she like she's really trying to sell them the Epper Lady. She goes, it's yes. really very good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I think I admire that. Again, it's it doesn't you know change the film one or the other, but I think it's I I like the fact that they actually put some thought into the details of the film. Yeah, um, and there are little things like that as well because um, there's there's a scene. Um, I'm fairly sure there's a scene early on. I can't remember the order of the scenes actually, but um, Abbott, who is one of Casey's henchmen, yeah. big big black guy, um, and he's you I often think that's see Morley. him. Sorry, Abbott's the little guy. Morley's the big guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's Morley. Yeah, well, you often see him um, flossing his teeth. Yeah. Um, with with dental floss and the scene in the chemists where they are um, you know discussing um, what, what, what they ask they're, they're they're more makeup aren't they yeah, yeah. Um, and then he comes in um, stands up behind them and then says you know have you got I want some dental floss um, and so that's unnecessary as well but it's a point at which when I first saw the scene where he's standing outside of the hotel that he's a bouncer for yeah. flossing his teeth I thought well that's what well, that's odd. It's obviously a kind of like a, a thing that he does. Yeah. He flosses his teeth, and it was only later on in the film that actually it was to show that he goes into the chemist while Charlie and Brian are in the chemist as well, and he would recognise them, yeah. and he doesn't recognise them because they're in their nun's outfit. A very long-winded way to say I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the, uh, the, there's some nice moments at the very beginning that actually set up why Charlie and Brian work well as a team, why they're friends, why they're why they work together. And Charlie has got all the skills. He's the one who can pick pockets. He's the one who can break into cars. Um, yeah. Brian is, but again, there, there's a scene where they steal a car, which is just a basically way of showing how they acquire a car or they're themselves at work. But it quickly establishes that Brian is the one that, that is the brains, or at least the wits. He was the one that tells Charlie if he slows the car down and shows his stolen police identity, they can get away clean. Um, yeah. Whereas Charlie is literally just gunning for it. And that actually sets up a lot of the things that happen in the um, in the rest of the thing, is that Charlie is able to just fly by the seat of his pants and, and try and steal or break things. And it's normally Brian that will try and think of things. Um, and also, again, there's a, there's a theory... Um, in terms of film structure, is that no matter how entertaining a film is or how engrossing a film is, your body tends to go to sleep at the one hour mark. You just start to lose a bit of energy because you've been sitting around for an hour. Mm-hmm. So at the, at the one hour mark, and you can kind of check when films do this, something exciting will happen, whether it's plot required or not. Yeah. There'll be an explosion, yeah. a car chase, uh, a gun scene <laughs> that will just come out of nowhere just to wake you up yeah. and give you an adrenaline thing. And sure enough, right on the one hour mark, Charlie and Brian are climbing down a drain pipe for no good reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and they just, just happen. They go off to, to Faith's apartment um, to warn her. She's not there. Abbott Morley show up, and they climb up a drain pipe. It didn't need to be in there, but it's on the one-hour mark, and it ramps up the adrenaline that never really stops until you get to the final chase scene. And yeah, I thought, and I noticed that. Yeah. I thought, because I did wonder, what's going on here? Why are they? What? How did this happen? I thought, oh, I see what they're doing now. This is just is just to carry this off to the finale. I like the idea that um, in all films at the one-hour mark, something has to happen to stop I, you falling asleep. I, I've got I've got visions in my head of Andre Tarkovsky <laughs> as, he's, as he's as he's as he's directing the three-hour medieval epic Andre Rublev, um, a very solemn uh, meditative film. In the hour mark, there's a car chase and a massive explosion because <laughs> for no apparent reason whatsoever. It may not be universal, but you, you, you watch a mainstream movie from now on, and if yeah. you if you have the chance to glance down at the one-hour mark, yeah. I bet you something exciting will happen, whether it needed to or not. Yeah, okay, I'll I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, Which, I'll no, do no, that. Yeah, no, ruined films. You you just think of you know, <laughs> chasing that scene because it's the one-hour mark. Well, um, well, maybe, well, maybe Tarkovsky has his own version of a car chase, which might be a particularly deep philosophical conversation at around the hour mark. I mean, that'd get the adrenaline going for nothing else would. <laughs> Um, so I guess it's the final part of that is the, the director Jonathan Lynn I think it's one of his first features he'd done TV work yeah. but again yeah. his probably most notable film after that was My Cousin Vinny which but, yeah, I, Cousin again Vinny, yeah. I consider also to be a very well structured tightly plotted comedy and I think and yeah, also, uh, you're right but also interestingly a very well casted and acted comedy as well mm-hmm. and I think the thing with comedies is that they're often um, they're often not given the credit that they deserve from an acting perspective, because I think it's very difficult to make a comedy successful because I think it's hard to make a comedy because it's hard to make people laugh. Yeah. I think you've got to, you know, comic actors get a bit of a raw deal because I think if you're, a, if you're an effective comic actor and you've got a really good script that, and, and 
and you create a really effective comedy. That's a, that's gold dust. That is. Yeah. It doesn't happen often enough. And my cousin Vinny is a really good example of everything coming together. It's a it's a funny film. It's quite a moving film in places as well, and it's got a really really good central performance from Marissa Tomei. Yeah. And um, uh, Joe, oh, Joe, Pesci. Joe Pesci. Yeah. And it, that's why it works. And you know, I think I think that's a better film than Mums on the Run. Oh yeah. But Mums on the Run shares some of the same principles in the sense that it's got a very very good central performance from Robbie Coltrane. The casting is really good, and it's quite tightly structured, and it's nicely directed as well. Yeah. Okay then. So I think. Uh... That covers up some of the, the themes, yeah. or at least the uh, the analysis of the of the film. Any thoughts on characters before we before we head off? Maybe okay. So I, what I would like to do there's character is maybe stro- too strong a word, yeah. and this isn't this is my own. It's not really anything to do with the the, the film, the film's plot or the, the structure of the film necessarily. But it, it makes the film it makes the film um, nostalgic for me in a, in a particular way. And it's the setting of the film as well. So it, it is a, it is a version of London. You see, you see London as it was in the late eighties and early nineties. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's filmed in around um, residential areas yeah. in the London borough of Hounslow, which is where I grew up. So a lot of it is filmed in Chiswick and, um, Whilst I don't specifically recognise individual roads, you, I recognise the style of the housing. I recognise the um, structure of the streets that are around the nunnery at that particular point. I recognise the buses that go past. I think in one scene, the 237, <laughs> I used to get quite a lot. And it kind of sparked a bit of a memory in there. And I think that actually you don't see, you don't see London on film anymore in a very naturalistic way yeah. like and i'm not saying the film isn't particularly naturalistic but you know the the scene on where they um attack the triads to get the money is a residential street yeah um it's not it's not canary wharf and a canary wharf i don't think would have been built then or might have just been about to be built, no. but it's not an iconic it's not an iconic building it's not the houses of parliament or yeah. you know it's it, it's not anything like that it's a random um london street where there are london taxi cabs and london buses and what look like normal london people going about their normal daily london business yeah i quite like that and i think i think what that means to me is that the film was made for a london for a british audience yeah and it just so happened to be successful because what it did it did well in that context and i quite like that I think you're right. And when you say, can you mention there were there were buses and taxis? I didn't particularly notice the buses because it wasn't shown driving over Tower Bridge in that way that some films no, do to yeah, telegraph. Yeah. You are now in London. It was chicken. Yeah, exactly. they, yeah, it was just the where the where it happened to be set. Yeah, and I think I think that's quite. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. A lot of the film is then set in the nunnery, yeah. and so it could be anywhere. But those those kind of initial setup scenes are either in. You know, streets in central London around Chinatown that are quite grubby, um, that are, you know, quite, quite naturalistic or streets in and around Chiswick, which are just normal, normal streets. Yeah. And, and I, you know, there'll, there'll be films you have nowadays which, which do present that, but they're either presented in terms of this is gritty London. Yeah. This is, this is, this is a gritty part of London or it's, this is financial London. Yeah. Or this is political London. Yeah. It's not just. It just so happens to be set in London. Yeah. In a way, like, in a way that a lot of sort of New York um, movies yeah, used to be just set in New York. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing. There's you know. It, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a character in itself. Yeah. You know, London in this film is not a character, but I liked it because I recognised it and I grew up in and around where that was filmed. And so there was something. There was something that con- that connected. With a, in fact, it was probably the biggest point in which I thought I remember f- having a fondness for this film, but it might not have been anything in the film itself. It might just have been my childhood growing up. I will say again, one more thing I admire on the film is um, Eric Idle and oh, so that Brian and Charlie have funny ideas about what nuns should be. They, they, they are presenting themselves and they, they present themselves as caricatures. The nuns, yeah. the real nuns in the film, aren't actually shown as caricatures. They're shown as Again, as perfectly yeah. normal in that sense. They, you know, Sister Liz, the, the mother superior, is you know she's though she doesn't see through the disguise. She is shown as an intelligent, 
caring Mother Superior who looks after things. You know, the sister Mary, who was the the drunk who embezzled the money, is actually shown as a human person with actual flaws. Yes, she's yes. not a she's not a funny drunk nun. Um, and this kind of no, stuff. So right. yeah, so the nuns are portrayed well. Actually, they're portrayed as you know, human beings yeah. who are happen to be nuns, rather than yeah. if they were all like again Sister Euphemia and Sister Violata, it wouldn't land. It has to be. You know, Eric Idle and Robbie Coltrane put on habits and try and infiltrate it, not knowing what nuns yeah. do. Um, so I thought that was quite yeah. a good. Actually, treating yeah. him respectfully um, was a good way to go with it. Well, well you're, you're you're right on that because it, you know if if this is a kind of fish out of water kind of setup to a certain extent, not quite, but to a certain extent, you you have to have in that situation the concept or the 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 idea that there is a threat that they will be found out. Yeah. And if the nuns were presented as caricatures or comedy figures and some are but it's but 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 there is a there is a broader there's a seriousness to their role yeah you wouldn't have that threat because they you know that they wouldn't get found out because all of the nuns are comedic figures yeah. whereas as it is there is still a danger for brian and charlie yeah. now, it, it, it's, it's almost like the nuns themselves are savvy yeah, and in fact, it's, yeah. themselves. it's in fact the, uh, the this is where the subplots come in. We talk about the the nuns have had their their drug rehabilitation money embezzled. That yeah. you that that has actually just happened. So that's playing on this the mother superior's mind, and that's why she's not switched on to see what the you know the weird what, nuns have yeah. come into her house because she's more concerned with the embezzlement and looking after Sister Mary who did it and sorting out the accounts. Yeah. And she's constantly distracted by that as she as Brian and Charlie are trying to find their you know find their way around the convent. And that's another good touch because even though it ends up with them getting the, the looted money to fund the, the centre it explains why an intelligent mother superior wouldn't immediately see Brian and Charlie saying yeah. you're clearly not nuns no, I, yeah absolutely that's exactly it yeah and, you know, and all of that together means that the film works towards I mean, in, in, in these kind of films I think you said earlier that, that, that the ending of the film it ties up a lot of loose ends I mean you, you are through the film suspending belief yeah because it's because it's effectively one long joke, and so at the end, you don't mind the fact that there's no way on earth that they could have got onto the plane disguised as um, air hostesses. Yes, yes. In any way, shape, or form, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay because there's no way they would have got away with what they did by dressing up as nuns. Yeah. But you've kind of gone with that, so you might as well go with the last bit as well. Yeah, it's funny that actually. Yeah. Um... Eric Idle and Robert Crane are much funnier as nuns than they are as gangsters. It's um, they, they they certainly yeah, adopt no. personas that are very very funny, and it's shown yeah, actually yeah. At the very beginning when they throw on their habits and just try and escape. They're walking like men who who have habits on and suitcases. And the more that the more they try and inveigle themselves into the deception, they become a little yeah. bit daintier and and you know adopt all these mannerisms, which again is a nice yeah. character touch or at least nice acting touch for them to make. Is they they don't just end up you know wading around like great big hurdy men. Um, it's in habits and, and stuff, and, and but and also that that's part of that kind of comedic acting that we've been discussing. This film would be nowhere near as good as it is without Eric Idle and Robbie Coltrane in those leads. Yeah. I don't think it, it it really wouldn't be because I I think that the setup and the plot itself can only take it so far, and I think that without them as those kind of central. Um, in, in those central roles it, it, it would have been very flat I think and apparently Michael Palin was originally yeah. thought to be the the Charlie McManus role which again would have been a different spin on it together because Eric Idle and Robert Coltrane worked together as kind of the big man little man comedy duo for one thing uh, but you're right Robert Coltrane is the strongest performance in this and it's it's his determination and energy because even because also the way it's written you know Brian is in love with Faith and that makes him distracted he's he's veering off yeah. their mission yeah. uh, Charlie McManus is the one who's on point um, and also yeah. again steering them through the Catholic stuff and also again is very funny when he is the great big nun sister in Violata of the yeah. Immaculate Conception and I think that's part that you know he's, he's also funny because it's part of his physique isn't it yeah. he's a big man yeah. and dressed as a nun he looks ridiculous <laughs> but he also looks like a nun yeah yeah because when they, when they do the nurse thing, I mean, obviously that's just a gag now to keep them cross-dressing, to keep the plot yeah. moving forward. They look like two men in nurse, in nurse uniforms. Yeah, yeah, they, they don't do. look like the cross. But when they're nuns, they, they can pass because all you can see is their faces and they're pulling these expressions. Um, well, and that's exactly the point, isn't it? Because nuns desexualize. Yeah. That's the point of the outfit. And so actually, if you, you know, Robbie Coltrane um, as a gangster looks like a gruff, big, fat man. As a nun... 
the features soften a little bit <laughs> and um you know so, some of those kind of broader kind of roughness is is eked out of him and you know under under the under the outfit yeah he could be a nun <laughs> i think he could be i mean that's why that's that's a really good piece of of casting because if it had been michael palin i, I think i think that eric idol and michael palin are too similar yeah and also again michael palin wouldn't have had that kind of that driving energy that Robert Coltrane could no, bring to it. it because there, there was, yeah, there was a couple of scenes when Charlie just grabs Brian by the lapels and by the habit and yeah. he's just snarling yeah. at him to keep it together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, any, other, any other any other um, observations? Uh, for me, no, that's it, I think. I've, uh, we've we've yeah. drilled into this so we could, we could go straight yeah. to the scores and find out what we're watching so, next. Well, let's do that then right now or at least after the little musical interlude. <laughs> <laughs> that, was it, that was supposed to be. Yeah, and it's, and, and yeah that was oh, what that was supposed so to be. So right now or then. <laughs> yeah, right. Let, let's do that right, soon. Right then. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Please. <laughs> give our floating crombie head scores out of five no half marks allowed for nuns on the run james would you like to lead in yeah um so nuns on the run um provided me with an interesting um and uh, quite a nice nostalgic um feeling um when i was watching the film i think that um a lot of your enjoyment of the film will depend on whether you find a nuns intrinsically funny and b people dressing up as things that they aren't intrinsically funny and i think that on reflection i have a limit (laughs) to which i am prepared to um fall completely in line with that particular genre of film and that particular focus on nuns nevertheless um, I do think that the film is well acted, very well acted for what it is. Actually, it has a superior script, which it, which delivers, if not laugh out loud moments, then a consistent chuckle. I suppose as we work through the film, I think it's it doesn't outstay its welcome, which I think is beneficial for a film like Nuns on the Run, which is a which is a very um, well, it's very specifically plot driven, I should say, in that context. And all of those things together mean that I'm going to give Nuns on the Run three disembodied crombie heads. I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed the nostalgia of it much more. It's not as funny as I remember it being. But nevertheless, I did finish the film with a smile on my face. Very good. OK, my turn now. Again, there's not much to add into it uh, that I haven't said already. I I really enjoyed it. I like the, the tight structure and the plot of it. I thought... As a comedy, it worked really well. And again, I'm trying to judge it on, you know, not on all films, but on other comedies. You have to kind of gauge your floating crop. It's not on what is all the best films ever, but does it work as a comedy? Where where does it stand in the one to five of good comedic films? Mm -hmm. And I was on the fence about which floating head to give it. I think... On reflection, a fair mark is three floating crombie heads. Okay. I, I would, I was, I was wondering whether to give it more, but you're thinking about it. I've seen funnier films, but this is right. It's, I think it holds up well for a film that's you know, 25 years old. Yeah. It's, it's well structured. It's well plotted. The performances are good. It's enjoyable, and yeah, yeah it's a good comedy. I think, I think if if you if you come away from Weekend at Crombies. Having listened to this particular edition, and you think to yourself, "Well, yeah, okay, I'll give Nuns on the Run a go," I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think you'll have a fun 89 minutes, and you probably, you know, you'll, you'll finish the film thinking, "Well, that was that was worth that was worth 90 minutes of my time," um, and I'm in a I'm in a better mood for that now. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Excellent. Well then, so that's that concludes our look at Nuns on the Run. Um, certainly, uh, one of the the lowest brows we've had, but uh, no worse for that. Um, yeah. Now we tentatively peek into the what October would hold for us. What in episode ten, James, will we be watching? So uh as tradition befits an October um film watching exercise, it is of course Halloween. Um we may well be doing the podcast before Halloween I should say, but it's the month of Halloween. So um 
while I, I know I know that Hugh is sensitive to some of the um, genre tropes of, of, of horror, and so I've not gone down strictly the horror route. I would add to this, so that you've got nothing to fear here, Hugh. Okay. However, it is it is a film of which I remember watching avidly when I was young. Um, it's a film which uh, is um, quite dark, literally, um, and uh, is is potentially a little bit violent as well. Um, and it's made in the same year as Nuns on the Run, but it's a very different beast. And that film is. Dark Man. So Ooh. the film is Dark Man by horror aficionado Sam Raimi. Oh, who fantastic. Made Evil Dead, the Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, the Spider-Man movies, um, and so on. So this is his 1990 film, Dark Man. Excellent. I've, I've never seen it. I, I certainly enjoy the director. I'll save some thoughts for next month, but yes. I, I will, I will really say few, and I <laughs> genuinely look forward to watching it. Which yeah, is not something good. I can always say. No, well, you know, you never know. You, you never know. No, I, I, I might hate it, but uh, uh, <laughs> thank you for not choosing Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, <laughs> and thank you for choosing Darkman. So anyway, without further ado, evening all. I wish you a very pleasant weekend at Crombie's. Weekend at Crombie's. We, we, we leave you with, um, the warm, the warm, um, undercurrents of, uh, nuns on the run. I don't know what hair I'm going with that. I was, I, I, interestingly, I kept, when I kept saying nuns on the run earlier to, to Emma, my wife, the good lady, her indoors, um, I kept saying runs on the nun by accident, which I think is a completely different film. Um, potentially some kind of horrific, um, body horror about a diseased, diarrhea-laden man who um, runs amok in Nunhead's cemetery. Perhaps I, I, I don't. Think, I think we're losing the warm undercurrent. Here. <laughs>